Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. He's a good God, isn't he? I find, Brother Henderson, even when I'm not a good guy, he's a good God. Amen. Anybody relate to that? He is a wonderful, loving, kind, caring God, and he is looking out for our interests. Amen. God bless you. So happy this morning to have a special treat for you because Sister Monk is getting married soon and moving away. And while I'm excited about that, the, op- the opportunity for us to have her teach will be fewer and far between. And uh, so we're excited. I want her to come this morning and share the word. Amen. Aren't you excited about the word of God? Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise as Sister Jessica Monk comes this morning. Thank you, Brother Roberts. Man, last time Sister Valerie got me all emotional. Now Brother Roberts get me all emotional. Shoo. Man. No. Um. I'm so glad to be here this morning. Thank you, Brother Roberts. Thank you, Sister Roberts, Pastor and Sister Valerie, for the opportunity. Um, I always enjoy uh, teaching in the Word of God because it's the greatest thing ever, right? So uh, if we want to turn in our Bibles to Psalms chapter 20, verse 7. It feels good to be here today. It does. I came in this morning, and I just I have an expectation of what God's going to do today. It's going to be going to be a great day. So the Bible says, well, say amen if you're there. Amen. If you're not, it's on the screen. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 20, verse 7, that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember and trust in the name of the Lord our God. If you want to put your Bibles down and just lift a hand and uh, ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. God, thank you for bringing us here today, God. Thank you, God, that you have kept each and every one of us, God, from danger, seen and unseen. God, your hand has been upon us to bring us here this morning. It's not by accident, God, that each one of us are here. So, God, I ask you to open our hearts today, God. Open our minds to receive, God, the word that you have for us today, God. I ask you, Lord, to speak through me today, God, not my words, God, not my thoughts, God, but what you desire to speak to your people. God, let us be strengthened, challenged, and encouraged today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated if you want to give the Lord a hand clap as you're seated. He's worthy this morning. Amen. All right, so I brought my phone up so I can keep track of time because I told Brother Roberts I have 18 pages of notes. So that's a little bit more than what I normally have. So I'm going to try not to speed through things, but um, I might speed through things. (laughs) But I'm going to try to keep track of the time. Uh, so a few weeks ago, um, I was having a conversation with a friend about things going on in the world. And if you've had one of those conversations with me recently, you know that I can tend to get a little bit passionate about some things. Um, this time was no different. Um, we, we agreed on most things that we were talking about, pretty much everything we were talking about. We agreed on it. Um, but I was still just like, getting so passionate about it, like my heart rate was up, like it was just, it was a whole thing. Um, So 
But at one point, the friend that I was talking to, she told me, she said, you know, one thing that if 2020 taught me anything, it was that I have to fully rely on and trust in God. Otherwise, I'll try to fix things on my own, and I can't do it. And so after we, we finished talking, and I left, and I was on my way home, and the spirit of conviction hit me so strong. I even texted him. I was like, I am sorry. Like, it convicted me. Um, I, I trust God. I do. I trust, and I, I feel like I've been trusting him on the surface. But that conversation revealed to me some things that are still on the inside that, you know, I still want to take into my own hands, you know, that I still want to have control over. So this morning I want to talk to us um, about in God we trust. It's not a new topic. I'm probably not going to say anything that you haven't already heard before. But I think that right now, especially, we all need the reminder, like, who in a world that's just becoming more unstable every day, with every passing minute, it seems like it's becoming more unstable, um, we need to remember who we can trust, who we can trust. So, I think that even in today, we're living in a society and a world that is, has misplaced trust. And so what, what does that mean? What does misplaced trust mean? So while I was doing some studying, I came across an article. Um, it's ourdailybread.org, and it's just called Misplaced Trust. And it's a pretty long article, but I'm going to go ahead and read it um, and just, just kind of listen to it and just kind of, you know, personalize it. Think about it for yourself. So it starts off, it said, if God is good but good isn't God, how do we avoid making some of our worst mistakes with the best things in life? In an effort to clarify the problem of misplaced trust, what if we said to our hearts, love God, but don't depend on your love for him. Seek to know him, but don't rely on your own understanding. Make it your purpose to serve him, but don't ever imagine that he's indebted to your service. Make it your objective to please him, but don't depend on your own efforts to do so. Listen to your conscience, but don't depend on your own ability to discern right from wrong. Plan your way, but don't presume to know what's ahead. Seek good relationships, but don't depend on good relationships. Try to find the company of wise people, but don't stake your life on their counsel. Know the word of God, but don't make a God of your knowledge. Surround yourself with good teachers, but don't idolize them. Feel sorrow for your sin, but don't count on your sorrow to assure rightness with God. Count your money and manage it well, but don't suppose that any amount of money can secure safety or satisfaction. Establish budgets to discipline your use of resources, but don't depend on your budgets. Work hard, but don't depend on your work. Sacrifice for the sake of others, but don't depend on your sacrifice. Be generous, but don't depend on your generosity. Be clever, but don't depend on your cleverness. Seek to be wise, but don't trust your wisdom. Try to understand yourself and others, but don't lean on your own communication skills. Be kind, but don't rely on your kindness. Love others, but don't be proud of your own love. Give gifts to others, but don't depend on your gifts to accomplish the intent for which you gave them. Work hard to be a peacemaker, but don't make peace into a God. Be faithful to others, but don't rely on your own faithfulness. Pray, but don't make an idol out of your prayers. 
Make worship a priority, but don't depend on your worship. Know your spiritual gifts, but don't pin your faith on them. Enjoy good times, but don't depend on good times. Be thankful for today's provisions, but don't lean on those provisions for tomorrow. Value a good education, but don't worship education. Learn from your mistakes, but don't depend on what you've learned. Use technology, but don't depend on technology. Can I get an amen? (laughs) We were having issues with the internet this morning. So invest your money wisely, but don't count on your investments. Try to think clearly, but don't depend on your own thoughts. Try to reason logically, but don't be conceited about your own thoughtfulness. Value your accomplishments, but don't become puffed up over them. Honor your parents, but don't live for your parents' approval. Love your children, but don't make gods of them. Enjoy your grandchildren. Pray for them. Give them your love and example, but don't tie your hopes and dreams to their choices. I think that that article just about covers everything that we could put our trust in. You know, all of those things are good to do, but when we put our trust in them, it's misplaced. Misplaced trust is simply to put your trust in someone or something that will eventually betray you, it will let you down, or it will disappoint you. All of those things that I just read off, they're good things, but they're, they're going to pass away. They're not eternal. They're not going to last. So there will come a point when those things will disappoint us. So I think this morning that we can all agree that there's been times in our lives, you know, where our trust has been a little bit misplaced. I know I can. And, and my, even recently, you know, my trust has been misplaced. So, but Jeremiah 9, chapter 23, not chapter, chapter 9, verse 23, says, This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. The Lord is telling us don't boast in the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge that you have, your power, but boast in him, boast in the knowledge that who he is and what he has. So this morning, I want to look at five areas that when we put our trust in God, it's not going to be misplaced, but it's going to be secure. The first one is trials. Has anybody faced any trials recently in the last month, week, day, hour, minute? (laughs) You know, we had issues with the internet this morning, and that's, that's kind of a trial, you know? That's been within the last 20 minutes. So at one time or another, we are all faced with situations that don't make sense. When we ask God the question, why? God, why is this happening? And instead of turning to him, we can become offended with him when he allows things to happen in our lives that we just can't understand. I've heard people say, if God is such a loving God, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? And I admit, I wish I knew the answer to that question sometimes. You know, why do bad things happen to good people? I can say it rains on the just and the unjust alike. God is no respecter of persons, or his ways are higher than our ways, all of which are 100% true. But sometimes those words don't quite land right in my heart. 
I don't really sometimes want to hear those things, even though I know they're right. But at the end of the day, I have to admit that there are some things I just don't understand. I may never understand. And that God didn't do the way, do things the way I thought he would. He didn't do things the way I expected. And that's okay. That's what trust is. Trust that is in who he is, not necessarily in what he does. I know Brother Jose preached last week about faith and having faith in God in the good times when he answers and then when he doesn't answer. That's trust and faith in God. No matter what you may be facing, you're dealing, we are dealing with the sovereign hand of God. Behind all events, behind all trials, there is always his sovereign hand. Sovereign is a word that we don't really use a lot, and it's a, very, it's a biblical word, and sometimes we're, you know, it's just something that we say, and we may not even fully understand it. So I read, I was reading a book, it's The Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink, and I took this quote from it. It says, what do we mean by the sovereignty of God? We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, and the godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to, is to declare that God is God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the most high, doing according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, so that none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that none can defeat his counsels, thwart his purpose, or resist his will. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the governor among the nations. He sets up kingdoms. He overthrows empires. He is determining the course of dynasties as pleaseth him best. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. Such is the God of the Bible. That's what it means when we say God is sovereign. He is God. He doesn't have to ask us. He doesn't have to get our permission. He doesn't have to explain things to us because he's God. The question is not, why is God doing this? The question is not, I need him desperately. Why does he not come rescue me? The question is not, why did God allow this tragedy to happen to me, to my children, to my family, to my country? Nor is it, why does God allow injustices? But the question is this, will you trust a God that you don't understand? Will you trust a God who doesn't live up to your expectations? Will you trust his sovereign hand? Proverbs 3 says, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding. God is sovereign. He does not fail. You can trust his purpose even when you don't understand the process. When we pray for God to strengthen our faith and, and help us to trust him more, there will be trials because that's how our faith is built. That's how our trust is built. James 1 tells us to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. <laughs> Whenever you face trials of many kinds, yes, I'm so happy about that. Because you know that the testing of your faith, this is where the joy can come in. It's going to produce perseverance in you. Perseverance is the ability to push forward, the ability to overcome. That trial is going to produce that in you. 
It's going to do a finished its work so that you can be mature, that you can be complete, that you won't lack anything. That's where the joy in the trial can come is when you're complete, when you can say, you know what? I persevered. I pushed through. I overcame. And now there are some things in my life that are complete and that I can move forward. And I'm not lacking anything because God, I trust God in the trial. There's nothing that comes as a surprise to God. The trial that you may be in right now, it did not catch God off guard. He allowed it to happen so you can trust him with it. Don't try to hold on to those trials so tightly and try to get through it on your own, but trust him with it. Give it to him, whatever it may be. 1 Peter 5 says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his own eternal glory in Christ, will himself complete, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will make you what you ought to be if you trust him with the trial. The second point that we can trust God with is our resources. In a time where there are rumors of our resources running out or being unavailable for one reason or the other, fear can grip our hearts. Has anybody been gripped with a little bit of fear over the last two years? I know when there was, a few months ago, when there was the threat of the gas shortage, you know, um, some people were literally losing their minds. They were filling up every container that they had or that they could find, including plastic grocery sacks, with gasoline. People were afraid Fear makes people say and do crazy things. Fear, we know, is not of God. And so, therefore, there's nothing that you can do out of a place of fear that is going to be good. But Matthew 6, 8 tells us that your father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew 7, 11 says, if you being evil, if us, we being evil, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? When it comes to standing in faith for things we know we need to survive or want so desperately, the battle is on. Satan is waiting in the wings. He wants to convince you that God isn't going to meet your needs. He'll try to tell you that God doesn't want to help you or that he won't make it in time. These are lies. Lies, lies, lies. The enemy is the li- a liar. And God is always on time. God's supply will never run out. And he knows exactly what you need when you need it. So if those voices are coming to you and causing fear and anxiety, you can tell the, the enemy to shut his mouth because it's not true. It's a lie. God is your source. That's the truth. God is the source. He is the perfect and on-time source for every resource you could ever need or want. The word of God renews our minds. It feeds our faith. It gets us where we need to be in order to receive. It's a place where every need that we have is completely met. Every bill is paid every debt removed, and every sickness and disease healed. All of that is in the word of God. Those are promises that we can declare to the enemy. We read the tithers declaration every week, and do we really believe it? Do we really, truly believe it? Are we speaking it in a way that we are declaring those things that are not as though they were? Is that how we're declaring that declaration? 
How many in this room can testify to miraculous blessings that have came to you since we began the tithers declaration? That's almost everyone in this room. That's incredible. We have to remember that God is the source. He is the source of all of those things. He's no respecter of persons. If he did it for me, if he did it for every person in this room whose hand was up, he will do it for you. Because he loves you and he's no respecter of persons. James 1 says that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It cometh down from the Father of lights, who, with whom is no variableness. There's no rising or setting. There's no, none of this with God. There's just, this is God. Neither is there shadow of turning. He is perfect and he never changes. That's what that means. There's no shadow of turning. He doesn't change. He's the same. So we can depend on that, that he is the supplier of our resources. He is our source. In Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker, he makes reference to the children of Israel and the miracle of quail. Have any, has anyone read that book? I know several years ago we did a kind of a series on it. Um, in Numbers, and he talks about this, and it stuck out in my mind because it's so incredible. But in Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites are complaining again about the food that was miraculously provided. So they're basically praying for another miracle while complaining about the one they have. (laughs) Has anyone been, I mean, just being honest, if you think about it, we've probably done it. I know I have. But despite their complaining, God patiently responds to their food tantrum with one of the most unfathomable promises in Scripture. He doesn't just promise a one-course meal of meat, God promises them meat for a month, and Moses can hardly believe it. Literally, he said, like, I'm paraphrasing the scripture, but just think of Moses. He's leading these people, 600,000 men, not counting women and children. He's leading these people, and this is the promise that God tells him. I'm going to give them meat for a month. So here, Moses is saying, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give you meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if the flocks and the herds were slaughtered for them? No. Would they have enough if all of the fish in the sea were caught for them? Well, they were in the wilderness. There was no sea close by. So you can imagine the, the stress, like the anxiety that he had. Have you ever been there? I know I have been. You know, Moses is doing that math in his mind. And he's like, God, this doesn't add up. Not even close. God, I'm trying to think here of any way that you could fulfill this promise. And God, I can't think of anything. There's nothing coming to my mind that's going to work. So he doesn't see how God can fulfill his impossible promise for a day, let alone an entire month. And I've been there. Has anybody been there when God said something to you and you're just like, God, I don't know. This is not adding up. Don't make sense, Lord. You know that God wants you to take the job that pays less, but it doesn't add up. You know God wants you to go on the mission trip, but it doesn't add up. You know God wants you to get married to someone in another country in the midst of a pandemic with international borders closed. God, that doesn't quite add up. He wants you to go to grad school or adopt, you know, anything. But God, it just doesn't add up. I don't know how you're going to do this, God. But in Numbers 11, 
verse 31 and 32, it says, Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. So just to give a little context here, the Israelites were parked in the wilderness of Paran. It was a region about 50 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea and about 50 miles southwest of the Dead Sea. I know you're like, okay, thanks for the geography lesson, Jessica. What does that have to do with anything? But the significance of this is that quail tend to live by water, and they don't fly long distances. If it weren't for a supernatural west wind, they would have never made it this far inland. So this is a meteorological miracle, and it's not just a miraculous west wind. The clouds then burst and rained quail from the sky. Based on the Hebrew system of measurements, a day's walk was approximately 15 miles in any direction. So that's all around. So we're talking about an area that was almost 700 square miles. To put that into perspective, Washington, D.C., anybody been to D.C.? Feels pretty big. I hate, I mean, I don't hate D.C., but driving in D.C., well, it gives me anxiety. But D.C., is 68.3 square miles. So not only is that an area that is 10 times larger than the nation's capital, the quail were piled three feet deep. I'm 5'3", so that's probably about this high. For 700 square miles, birds piled this high. I mean, can you just... Imagine that, how many birds that is. That's unreal. So, yeah, like, can you imagine? See, one, that, that many birds flew in to the camp, you know? So it was like a bird blizzard. Mark Batterson calls it a quail mageddon, you know? <laughs> the, the, you know, the cloud of birds, it was so massive that it would have seemed like a solar eclipse. That's huge, for the rest of their lives, these eyewitnesses, you know, when they closed their eyes, I'm sure all they could see were quail, 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 you know? Like it could be, you know, that's overwhelming. But once the quail stopped falling, they started gathering. Each Israelite, it said they gathered no less than 10 homers. So assuming that the quail were an average size, it rained somewhere in the neighborhood of 105 million quail. Yeah, 105 million quail. God doesn't just provide in dramatic fashion. That's pretty dramatic. But he provides in dramatic proportion. That's unreal. That's un, you know, we say things, oh, that's unbelievable. But really, God is able to do those things. You know, Moses could never have anticipated this answer to prayer. He could have never even imagined that. I could have never imagined it. It was unpredictable. It was unprecedented. It had never happened before. But Moses trusted God. He trusted his word that God was the source of all resources. If you put what little bit that you have in your hand into the hand of God, it won't just add up, but it's going to multiply. But you have to trust him with it. God's math is different is a phrase that I've heard multiple times over the last year. And I feel like it's been God kind of talking to me to give me an assurance. You know, Jessica, 
my math is different. I don't do math the same way that you do it. So over the last year, that has been proven to me. And so I'm just going to share a couple personal testimonies, not to boast on myself, but to really hopefully prove to you that God's math truly is different. So you all, many of you know that I went to Holland for two months this summer on a missions trip. Um, the budget that I needed for that, I sent out letters and did all the things, and I raised the budget needed in less than five months completely. That normally doesn't happen. That's, that's miraculous. It usually takes people a lot longer than that. Some people go a year raising funds, but less than five months. While in the Netherlands, uh, the conversation of the next step for Haleo and I, um, our ministry, you know, for those of you who don't know, he's the man I'm engaged to, my fiance. You know, so we were just talking about, you know, our plan is to be missionaries to the Netherlands. And we were just kind of talking about, like, how is this going to work? You know, like, one of our biggest concerns is our finances because, I'm not a citizen there yet. I don't quite, I don't speak the language yet. So the possibility of me being able to get a job there is slim to none, really. Um, And the way the economy is set up there, things like that, like just a one income household is very difficult. So I, I mean, I know I've been just been trusting God and praying, but he's been very worried about it as a man would be. He's been very stressed out about it. Well, while we were there, we were talking about things, and one evening we got a phone call from someone, and they told us that there was someone who wanted to bless us financially, and they wanted us to send us send them a list of things that we needed for uh, not personal things, but ministry, because our goal is to start a church in the Netherlands. So kind of thinking forward, like, what are we going to need to start a church there? So we sent them a list of things and kind of a cost estimate and things like that, and we didn't hear anything back for over a month. And one day we were sitting talking and I asked him, I was like, have you heard anything else about, you know, the, the money situation? And he was like, no, I haven't. He's like, I'm not going to ask about it. I'm not, I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave it. If they want to give it, they'll give it. That was earlier that day, that evening, like three or four hours later, he checked his bank account and the money had been deposited. And We didn't know for sure how much it was going to be, but one of our biggest needs is going to be a vehicle to be able to travel to minister to different churches or to plant a church in the different areas of the country. And the money that was given was almost, I mean, exactly the amount that we were going to need to pay cash for a vehicle. And it was just overwhelming. Like, we, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, God did that. Like, we were so overwhelmed when that happened. I remember we were sitting there, and I just started weeping. I couldn't do anything but just just start weeping, thanking God because it wasn't anything that we went after. It wasn't anything that we that we solicited, or it was just the hand of God miraculously providing for our needs. And if He did it for me, He'll do it for you. And and that's not even the only thing. Like since I've been back in the states. Um, what another financial miracle was a few weeks after I got back, the family that I live with, they've been such a blessing to me. But she, they came down and told me that they weren't going to charge me for the last two months of my rent. That is um, incredible. Like, I didn't ask. I didn't even allude to that fact. But God did that. Just this past week, he, the, 
the man of the family that I live with, he likes cars and things like that. He offered to change my oil and he wouldn't accept payment for it. He was, I was like, how much do I owe? He's like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm like, God, you just keep blessed. Like you just keep pouring it out, pouring it out. And so now Haley and I, we were talking and he was like, I don't know why I've been so worried about it. And I want to encourage you today. Don't worry. If there are things that you need, God knows that. He knows. His math is different. It's not going to add up in your mind. But as long as it adds up in the mind of God, that's all that matters. So the next point that I want to talk about um, is the unknown. We can trust God with the unknown. Have you ever heard the term FOMO? F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. Anyone suffer from a case of FOMO? (laughs) Yes, I do. I don't like not knowing things. You know, some people call it nosy, you know, but I like to say I'm curious. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But anyways, we live in a a society, in a world that is immersed in knowledge. Some, um, if you don't know something about someone or something, within seconds you can find it out. How many times have you heard or even said, just Google it? The knowledge is at our fingertips, literally. If you want to know something about someone, did you check their Facebook? You know, did you stalk their Instagram? You can find out pretty much anything you want to know in a moment. And I'm not against knowledge. That's not what I'm going to talk about today. I think we should all be on the road to learn as much as we can. But the problem comes when we want to have knowledge about something and it's just not meant for us to know it. It doesn't matter how many times we Google it, nothing comes up. It doesn't matter how many friends we text or call and ask, they have no answers. It doesn't matter how many times we post on Facebook or Instagram, there's no comment. It doesn't matter how many counseling sessions we have with the pastor and his wife, there's seemingly no solution. I don't like not knowing Not knowing what the future holds can bring me a lot of stress and anxiety. (laughs) I don't like it when I'm asking God for something, anything, and there's silence. You know, sometimes I don't really even like it when I'm reminded of the scripture to be still and know that I am God. Sometimes I don't like it. You know, I'm like, I just want to know, you know. And I can throw a fit and make a mess out of things sometimes when I want to know something and I don't know it. Um, when there's something on the horizon that's unknown, I can have the tendency to imagine all of the scenarios of what could happen. Then I go in preparation mode because I'm a doer. Then I end up stressing myself out and I end up driving everyone around me crazy. I create scenarios and situations that may in fact never happen. Usually worst case scenarios, you know, but that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. If he can get me focused on the what ifs and consumed with damage control before something even happens, I can literally welcome chaos into my life. The enemy is a thief and a robber. And when he can get our focus on the unknown, he steals the joy of the present. The things that we should be enjoying now are lost in the worry of what could come and what may never come. Matthew 6, 25, it says, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. So I want us all to say that, that first line. Therefore, I say unto you, 
Take no thought for your life. It says, in the, I believe it's the Amplified Version, it says, Therefore I tell you, stop being worried or anxious about your life. Stop being distracted about your life. It goes on to say, talk about the birds of the air and the flowers in the field and the clothes that you wear. If we go down to verse 31, it says, Therefore, again, don't worry or be anxious. Don't be uneasy and distracted, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows that you need those things. Skipping down to verse 34, it says, so do not worry about tomorrow. Can we all say that again? Like, point to yourself. Say, Don't, do not worry. Do not worry God knows. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's going to take care of itself. We're not promised tomorrow. So live in today. Enjoy today. Trust God for what you can't see, what you don't know, because we can create a whole lot of things that may never happen. So trust God in the unknown. A quote I heard recently really stood out to me. It said, silence is the soul's remedy for spiritual fatigue. Be still, be quiet, and listen. In the unknown, when I find myself anxious and just overwhelmed with stress and fatigued spiritually, silence. There's that be still again. Still don't really like it. But God continues to tell us, just be still. You know, have you ever told a toddler or a child, would you just be still? I feel like that's kind of what God's telling us sometimes. Like when we're like, Dad, Father, 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 would you be still? You know, <laughs> like I'm sure all parents can, or anyone who's had any time at all with children can relate to that. And that's what God is telling us. Be still. I've got this. I'm in control here. I'm the grown-up. You're the child. Chill out. Psalms 23 is a promise to us. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Job 23.10, it says, he knows the way that I take. God, I don't know when. God, I don't know how. I don't know anything, basically. But God, you know. I'm trusting and standing on the promise from your word that you know the way, and because you know it, it's okay that I don't. I don't have to know it. I can trust you with that, God. So the next point is salvation. If you didn't catch on yet, it's kind of an acronym for trust, T-R-U-S-T. So I'm on S, so I'm almost finished. So I'm not talking about believing that God is our salvation. I think we're all probably on that same page when it comes to that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here this morning. If you didn't think God was your salvation, you probably wouldn't have came to church. But what I want to talk about is taking it just a little bit further. We believe it, but do we really trust him for it? God, I know you died on the cross for the sins of the world. I repented because I believe that you forgive. I was baptized because I believe in the power of the blood in the name of Jesus to wash away my sins. I was filled with the Holy Ghost because I believe in the power of your spirit. We believe in the plan of salvation, but do we trust him for the promise? Do we trust him for the promise of eternal salvation, or are we constantly second-guessing our standing with God, 
trying to prove that we're worthy or that we're good enough. Salvation simply means it's preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. Deliverance from sin and its consequences. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Many of us live with anxiety and feelings of failure because we're trying to do enough good works to be saved. Romans 5.8 tells us that God showed his love. He proved his love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I had a young lady text me this morning, not from here, you don't know her, um, but she's really trying to make her way back to God. And she went to church this morning and she texts me and I was, you know, I was just really encouraging her. I was like, that's great. That's awesome. And she texts me back. She's like, I'm so sorry that I cut my hair. I hope God will forgive me. And it just broke my heart. One, I was like, you don't need to apologize to me. But it immediately, like she's been so beaten down for the last probably month and a half because she made a mistake. She fell and she's been condemning herself since then. And so I just encouraged her. I was like, God is gracious. God is forgiving. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins. I told her, I was like, just trust him. Trust his love for you. You know, what this, no one is required to do anything to earn God's love for salvation. We only need to trust that he's already done it. What needs to be done has already been done. We cannot do enough good works to balance the scale of God's justice concerning our sins. We just can't. So it's by grace that Jesus paid the price for us. Our position in him is secure because it's not based on our works. If it was based on our works, it would be totally like a mess because there's nothing good in me. It's only God in me that brings those things, that enables me to live a life pleasing to him. We don't live the way we live to be saved, but we live the way we live because we are saved. We're chosen. We're separate. We're called out. We are a holy people, not to try and and capture his attention, not to try to capture his favor, because he we already have his attention. We had his attention 2,000 years ago when he was on the cross, when he died for us. He, we already have his attention. You know, he died for us. We may doubt ourselves, and we often do. I doubt myself a lot of times, you know, and there's th- times where we need to repent daily. You know, there, it doesn't excuse our sins. It doesn't, there's no excuse for that. We've got to live right the way we know to live. But never doubt God and his salvation. Never doubt the ability, the love of God that he has, that he's just waiting for you to come to him. You don't have to do anything, but just come to him. Isaiah 12 and 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength. He is my song, and he has become my salvation. He's your salvation, not just when you were filled with the Holy Ghost and when you went down the waters of baptism, but every day he is our, or he is our Savior every day. My last point, and um, I've got 10 more minutes, so I'm good. So my last point is timing. Timing. We can trust God with the timing. Does anyone struggle with patience? Both hands up. I do. Again, I am a doer, so I get really frustrated when 
I'm ready to do the thing, but the time isn't right to do the thing. Oh, it really, I'm like, especially if I know what to do. Okay, I know to do this, to make, to do that, you know, I get really frustrated when it's like, oh. So have you ever heard the phrase that the right thing done at the wrong time is still the wrong thing? Yeah, I don't like that phrase too much. We've also heard and undoubtedly said many times that God's timing is perfect. Just being real. Sometimes I don't really like that one too much either. <laughs> you know, I know it's true, but, you know, sometimes I'm just like, God, I know your timing is perfect, but my timing's not bad, you know? <laughs> but anyways, um, so I know that I've, ta- I've said this in previous lessons, that God is a God of order and process. Every single thing that he does is strategic. It's not by accident. If God is saying now, then we can rejoice. Yes, finally. Thank you, Lord. But if God is saying wait, you can trust that there is a reason. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. There are plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This morning, don't forfeit the plans that God has for you to fulfill your own plans just because you don't want to wait. The Bible tells us that he knows all things. Isaiah 46.10 in the Amplified Version, it says, declaring the end and the result from the beginning, from ancient times, the things which have not yet been done, saying, God saying this, my purpose will be established, and I will do all that pleases me and fulfills my purpose. Not me pointing to me, but God. His plan, his purpose. He's going to do all that pleases him. And if we know that the plans that he has is to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us hope and a future, okay, God, you're like that. I can I can accept that. That's your plan. That's your purpose. You can bring that to pass. I'm okay with that. I'm okay to be prosperous. I'm okay to have hope and a future. Okay, I'm okay with that. So I want to tell kind of a testimony again about uh, something that happened to me in the last month or so. So I have my wedding dress, and I need to have some alterations done to it. So um, kind of backstory: a few years ago, I found this dress on Pinterest, literally fell in love with it, took my breath. I started, almost cried, and I knew that that was the dress that I wanted. I knew it was my dress, and so I researched it, and it's a European dress comes from the Ukraine, and there was only like two or three boutiques in the United States that carried that designer. So me, if you know me, like if I set my sights on something, I'm not going to be stopped too often. So I did the research, and I actually ended up finding a boutique that would order it for me. Um, It was through Oklahoma, actually. So that whole process, I got the dress, love it, it's perfect, and, uh, but I need to have some alterations done on it. So I didn't know a lot of bridal stores are kind of weird when it comes to altering a dress that they didn't sell. So I called around a different, few different places to ask um, if they, if I could have a consultation with the seamstress. And the um, only one per- place called me back, Serendipity up in La Plata. And so I went up a couple, few weeks ago with Linda Lou went with me. So she's my witness to this. If you doubt me, you can ask her. 
So we went in, and I met this, the lady, the seamstress came in, and when she came in, I was kind of shocked. I could tell she was not American. She was foreign, so especially when she started speaking, and she wasn't very nice, and I was really nervous because I had already been kind of anxious about my dress. I'd already been kind of anxious about putting my dress into someone else's hands to alter it, it's, you know, there again, creating a little bit of anxiety. But I was like, okay, so she was in there or whatever, and she was saying all these things about my dress, just not, just not nice, not very open, not very accommodating. And it was, I was getting a little bit nervous. And so she was like talking about my dress or something like that. And she was like, well, do you want to have it altered here or somewhere else? And I was like, well, I want to have it here. I was like, that's the thing. I was like, it's a European dress. It's made in the Ukraine. And I didn't even know if it could be altered. I didn't, so that's kind of why I'm here. It's just to see if it can be altered. And um, she's, and as soon as I said it came from the Ukraine, her entire demeanor completely changed. Unbelievably. She like went from being, I mean, you could physically see her attitude and spirit completely change. And I was like, she was like, oh, from the Ukraine. And she like started walking around my dress and just, I feel like she looked at my dress for the first time at that point. And she was like, it's beautiful, you know, da, 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 whatever. And I was like, what just happened? So she gets from this side and she walks all the way around me just looking at my dress. And when she gets to this side of me, she said, my grandmother is from the Ukraine. And I was, so there, I was like, okay. I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. So we talked a little bit about her, you know, her dad was Russian and her husband, I think, was Irish or something like that. And that her husband had passed away last year, you know, and so just kind of making a little bit of a connection. So then she offered, like, she offered to do the alterations for my dress. And so she gave me her cell phone number and I was putting it in my phone and I was like, okay, what's your name? And so she said, Oksana. And so it kind of sounded familiar, but not, didn't really click. And so I was like, okay, how do you spell it? And so she told me, O-K-S-A-N-A. And when I saw that on my phone, my eyes got, I was like, wow. She said, yeah, it's a very Ukrainian name. I was like, no, you don't understand. Oksana is the designer of my dress. My dress is designed by some, the Oksana. And she was like, oh, wow, you know, but she really did. I don't think she really thought a whole, whole lot of it. But when we, I left there, I was in tears. I told uh, Linda Lou, I was like, this is so incredible. Like, one, she's from the Ukraine, from the place that my dress is designed. That's mind-blowing enough. But then her name is the same name as the designer of my dress. And it was just like, God did not have to do that. He did not have to do that for me. And so then I was like, God, he knew I was anxious about it. And so he gave me those things to give me some peace about it, you know? And so I was telling somebody about this the other day and I was like there, and it just dawned on me, how long did that moment have to be in the mind of God for it to come to pass? I'm 36 I don't know how old this woman is, but she's from the Ukraine. How long ago did God start orchestrating that to where she would be here, the one bridal store that called me back to do alterations on a dress that I got from another country? 
And I was just so blown away. I was like, God, you, you cannot think the way that we think. Your thoughts can't be our thoughts. If you're planning those things from that far back, like I can't even imagine. And he didn't have to do it for me. All he had to do was, you know, the seamstress would be nice and say they could alter it. I would have been okay with that. But he went the step further and like just solidified it to be able to give me that peace. Those are things, that's something that only God can do. I could never have orchestrated that. But if I had forfeited the plan of God and tried to do things at a different time when it wasn't time yet, those things would have been messed up. And the plan that God had to prosper me, to give me hope, would not have happened. It was just incredible. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that there is already a season for everything under heaven. A lot of different versions of the Bible translate that word season as appointed time. And many other, in meaning, it's decided beforehand. It's designated. It's determined. It's chosen, established. It's authorized, and it's settled. What God has appointed will come to pass. What God has authorized and settled will happen. Don't worry this morning. God has not forgotten about you. He sees exactly where you are. And though we may not like it, trust his timing because it really is more perfect than we can even imagine. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9, well, I think it's verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He's patient with me. He's not, I'm not waiting on him. He's waiting on me. He doesn't want anyone to perish but he wants us all to come to repentance. Proverbs 16:9 says, "The hearts in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. He settles our steps. He de- he decides our steps." The final scripture I want to read this morning, Lamentations 3:26, it says, "The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him." He's good to those who trust him. To the one who seeks him, it's good to wait quietly. Does that be still again? It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This morning, you can trust him. It's not misplaced when you trust God in the trials. When you trust him for your resources. Trust him when things are just unknown. Trust him for the salvation every day and trust his timing. He is trustworthy. Amen. If we could all stand. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.